0: As if the McCrispie couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pegnata, with you guys as always. Today it is time to recap Mac Brown's first ever win in Charlottesville over the Virginia Cavaliers. Tariels get it done on Saturday afternoon. Wasn't easy, but they find a way. In the end, to get the 31 to 28 victory. And we're gonna break that down for you here today on this edition of the podcast. Josh Marlowe, along with me as well. And uh, but this this was one of those ones where, you know, I think it, it's pretty obvious at this point that Carolina is not a team that is contending for a playoff spot. I think any chance of that which I thought was slim to none to begin with Uh, when we sat here after the first uh, college football playoff rankings were released. um, I think that's completely out the window with everything that happened this weekend. Um, I think that if Carolina was going to have any chance of that to happen, I think they got some results in front of them that probably helped, but there were also some ones that definitely hurt them. Um, And I think, more than anything the win that you know they they picked up on Saturday against Virginia probably wasn't strong enough in a lot of people's minds to sort of secure that but now you know Wake Forest they lose to NC State Carolina really kind of needed that result to go the other way and then they would have needed State to sort of turn it around enough in time to where they would have been ranked again when Carolina faced them at the end of the season but that result Does not happen. Wake Forest now will be unranked when Carolina plays them this coming weekend. And then you have Clemson losing on the road at Notre Dame. And look, while it helps Carolina's lone loss, it means that Carolina will not have a chance to face an undefeated Clemson team at the end of the season to potentially advance on Uh, if they were to win or if they were to find a way to beat them. um, That that would be one of the better wins probably of the season if they had remained undefeated uh, and could have put them at least in outside contention to be in the conversation. But um, I I think now what that kind of shows is that the the thing for carolina is that they just have to win and this was a game 2 years ago when carolina was sort of motoring along in the 2020 season where they found a way to lose this game it was you know kind of reminiscent of some of the losses that carolina had back in the 90s that were so frustrating for a lot of people this time around though against a team you know that was probably pretty honestly pretty similar to the 2020 Virginia team that Carolina faced and lost. uh, I I think they did, you know, they found a way to come away with the victory this time, which I think continues to show uh, that they are taking some steps here this year under Matt Brown.
1: Yeah. It yesterday was, um, it was a game that I, I think we didn't want to see, but this is, this is who Carolina is. I've really said it all year long, and you know, really outside of the games against, you know, Florida A and M, which is a FCS opponent, Virginia Tech, which is just not a good football team, and then that second half against what we saw against Pittsburgh, they just lack the ability to dominate the opposition. They're a they're a good football team. You don't get to be in eight and one without without being that. But you know, most times when you're eight and one. And even though Carolina is contending for a Coastal Division championship and they will play for a conference championship, when you're eight and one, you probably believe that you're one of the better teams in the country and that you have a legitimate chance to to maybe play for something more than a conference championship. And and for Carolina, that just that that rhetoric doesn't apply. And it's something that you know on the on the initial thought, it's really hard to think that. Because you would like to think at 8-1 and one with a quarterback like Drake May and a receiver like Josh Downs, you know, that you would be competing and, and, and be playing for bigger things. You're playing for a New Year's Six bowl berth, which for this program is still, you know, a, a, a really good spot. But, you know, on, on the flip side, we got to remember that, you know, look at where this team was last year. This team was a complete and utter disaster. They were a failure. They, they fell flat on their faces. They weren't mentally tough enough to, to handle the expectations that they put upon themselves by, by winning eight games the year before and going to the Orange Bowl. When you do those types of things, expectation comes with it. And so, you know, we, we really entered this year saying, hey, this is a crossroads for Mac Brown. This is a crossroads for Carolina football. At 8-1, and one, in the top 20 of the college football playoff rankings – this it's it's easy. You know, we could sit here and say that uh, Matt Brown is still the right guy to lead this program. And now the goal is going to be, first off, finish the season strong, beat the be, beat your remaining opponents that you should, which are Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and, and NC State. Carolina should beat all three of those. Go compete your tails off for a conference championship. Let the bowl game lie, and then the challenge is going to be. Because of all the success we've had this year with the quarterback we have, does the you know the expectations are going to be back again next year? Hopefully, we'll be more ready and capable to handle the expectations in the years to come.
0: And, and look, I think you know that's 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 definitely fair, and I think that's probably the way that you got to look at it uh, at this point of the year. And yeah, they will have the expectations on the table, but I will say that one thing that is a little bit different for this team than. In 2020. Remember, first of all, with 2020 Carolina, look, they had some success on the road. This is the first time Carolina has won five road games in a season since 1996. And it follows a year where they did not win a single game away from home. So the turnaround there is outstanding. This is a team that has learned how to win on the road, and that was something that Mac Brown said in the preseason. This, this program has to learn how to do. They haven't learned how to do that uh, in, in the first three years, and this year they, they have figured that out. The other area that they had to get better in was close games. Carolina had won five games over the last four years, that were one possession games. They were five and fifteen in those one possession games. Carolina this year is five and zero in one possession games. So this team's learned how to win close games, and they've learned how to win road games. That's huge. That's big. That's what you need to do if you're Carolina. Now, I, I think you're, you're right. Putting it into perspective, is this one of the better teams in the entire country? Is this a team at eight and one that we think? You know, it's probably going to be ranked inside of the top 15, maybe even top 10 and and could be one of the outside playoff contenders. Probably not. Um, they're a team that right now is, you know, they, they were probably in the same category as Illinois was heading into this weekend. But see, they did what Illinois didn't do. Illinois welcomed in a Michigan State team that's struggling so far this year and got beat at home. Carolina goes on the road to a Virginia team that a Virginia program that they've historically struggled against to beat, especially in scenarios like this and they find a way to get a victory. So I think that's the main thing for Carolina right now is they've just got to win. And look, if they win next weekend, then it doesn't matter what the results are from the other teams in the coastal Carolina is the coastal division champ. And, you know, coming into the season And I think we all would have taken that. And that's the way that you have to look at things. I know there are a lot of people that probably want this team to be better, that want this team to be competing for something more than just an ACC coastal title. And at this point, I think the way Clemson looked the other night, the way they've looked over the last couple of weeks, I think Carolina has at least a, at least a legitimate shot to win the game. I probably and it's tough. I probably wouldn't pick Carolina right now, but if you know Clemson continues to struggle at quarterback and can't really find solutions there, I think there will be a conversation to be had once we actually get to Charlotte. So I still think it, there is a chance for it to be a very, very special year. Now, the one thing that was concerning uh, on Saturday that I think is going to have people a little bit nervous here moving into this final three-game stretch of the season is what Carolina did on the defensive side of the football. This was not a great performance by any stretch of the imagination from the Carolina defense, and a big part of it goes with what happened up front. Coming off that performance against Pittsburgh, second half of that game, that was the best Carolina's defensive line had looked all season, and they were without Noah Taylor, and Des Evans for that second half, but uh, in this one, those losses loomed pretty large. Carolina just did not look the same, really didn't get much push up front the entire night. On pure pass sets uh, in this game, Carolina registered just three total pressures and did not have a single sack, so the, the Carolina defensive line was pushed around, and look, that's not something that should really shock anybody, even when Carolina had the three starters uh, that they, you know, that, that that were in there to begin the season. When those guys were on the field, Carolina was still pushed around at times. This is, the, the concerning part is that this was uh, against an offensive line for Virginia that came in as one of, if not the worst offensive line in the entire Power Five. Um, and Carolina did not take advantage of that. And I think the inability for them to win the line of scrimmage sort of set up everything uh, for what was a pretty inconsistent day uh, from the defense.
1: Yeah, and I think it's something that we we were hoping wasn't going to show up, but th- 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 at this point, it's it's who they are. There's no denying that that losing Noah Taylor and Des Evans they they hurt from a talent and depth perspective. But we also said last week, hey, you know, we thought the defense looked better without those two guys on the field. But I also posed the, the you know, the situation of was that just a momentary or a, a, a time in, in where other guys looked around and said, look, I got to step up and I got to make plays and rise to the occasion. That happened against Pittsburgh. The challenge was, okay, how does that carry over into the next week? And the simple fact of the matter was that it didn't, and it's really discouraging because this is a Virginia offense that um, had only scored twenty points or more uh, one once time once this year, and that was against Richmond, and, and so that wasn't even a Power Five opponent. And they 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 moved the ball at times at will against Carolina, and they blew Carolina off the ball, and that was a really discouraging thing to see because when we talk about Carolina. You know, finishing the season the right way and really making this season as special as it, as as we want it to be, you got to win the battle in the trenches. And you know, they're they're a team that that when they do that, you see them talk. You know, you see that that they have the ability to dominate an opponent like they did in that second half against Pittsburgh. And so, um, you, you know, you, you look at the numbers. They they don't they they give up a lot of yards in conference play, but they don't give up, quote-unquote, a lot of points. But this was a game that I think we thought, kind of like Virginia, Virginia Tech, where your offense shouldn't have to be putting the game away for for you to win. And as we found ourselves sitting there in the later parts of the fourth quarter, we still felt like the offense needed to go score 38-45 to make us feel comfortable. And, And that shouldn't have just been the case against a Virginia team and a Virginia offense that's been anemic all season long?
0: Not to mention they were shorthanded. Without their top three receivers, didn't have their leading rusher in this game. And that was the more concerning part to me was, you know, how easy this team was able to move the ball up and down the field. Um, The two most – the two biggest issues I think that Carolina had was, one, stopping the run. This team ran for 186 yards and four touchdowns on Carolina coming into this game with their leading rusher active in every other game. They had run for 104.6 yards per game in conference play. So this was a team that look, their their, their rushing numbers were a little bit better than that for the season. Most of that came in some of the games they played early in the year uh, at a conference against lesser opponents. So you, you would have thought that Carolina, especially with the way that they did play in that second half last week, would have been able to control the line of scrimmage. And that was one of the best things against one of the better running backs, not only in the ACC, but really in the country last week in Israel, of that second half, you saw guys like Kevin Hester step up in the middle, Javari Ritzy, man, those guys were washed out completely the other day. And I, and I, I, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. Cayman Rucker, quiet game in this one. You know, the thing is, is how much of that is attributed to him being banged up. And, you know, that I, I think that's really what it is. It's, you you kind of got to admit to yourself that, one, this is a unit that is extremely inconsistent and will probably continue to be that moving forward. And, two, look, I know people will always say injuries are just an excuse and everything like that. And, and you know, nobody... The, the notion that nobody's going to feel sorry for you, that's definitely true. But this unit is definitely beat up up front. And I think moving forward, it's just going to be one of those week-to-week things. There'll be some weeks, like Carolina's defensive line this week could come out and perform great. Wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Also wouldn't shock me if they came out and did pretty much the exact same thing that they did on Saturday. So – I think that's just the point that you have to get with get to with this defensive line. Um, and in terms of everybody else, you know, uh, this wasn't a, a terrible overall performance from the defense. I thought, you know, on the back end, Carolina did some good things. Biggest issue that Carolina had, and in, uh, again, in part because of the defensive line, was the fact that they let up way too many third down conversions. And we're not just talking about third and short. We're talking about third and 10-plus that Carolina was allowing first down conversions religiously. Um, they, com- they, they they converted three uh, three third downs of 10 yards or more in this game. And that's something that, look, Carolina has not been great defensively so far this year. That's one area where Carolina's gotten teams into third and long. They've typically done a pretty good job of getting off the field. They did not do that on Saturday and that's a big part of why they struggled but you also had you know a couple performances in the secondary that I thought were pretty good primarily the one that I the, the guy that I thought had a really good day on Saturday was Storm Dunn he had the interception two pass deflections including the one where he broke off of his own man coverage route made a play uh, on a deep out route that would have been caught if he doesn't get in the way and and break that pass up I thought he was uh pretty really pretty good in this one and I think he's a guy that kind of deserves a little bit more credit here. I know he hasn't been great. I know that there are still some times where he has been beat, but he has been much better here over the last few weeks after a really really tough start to the season. You've seen him bounce back and step and 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 step his play up. And then another guy You know, again, I I think there were a couple of plays that he left on the field, including a missed tackle or two. But I thought Cedric Gray was really, really strong in this game. 16 total tackles for Carolina. Had Carolina's only tackles for loss and the team's only sack in this one. Also had two pass breakups. So I I think you you have to be thrilled with what some of the guys are doing. It's really just the fact that it doesn't seem like Carolina can get Consistently good play from guys across the board in games.
1: Yeah, I feel like for Storm Duck, that that's that second half of the pick game may have been the turning point for his season. He he made some big plays. He played with a level of physicality we haven't seen him play with really since his freshman year. And he seems to finally be more confident in his body given all the injuries he's battled and his ability to still be a big time playmaker. I feel like Sed Gray and Power Eccles, they've really become the linebacking duo I wanted Power Eccles and Ra Dilworth to be back in the preseason. Um they've been a lot of fun to watch together, um, even though there are there are points in times where they, they leave plays on the field. But you know, I I think you're right. I, I think where we get the most frustrated is that we have players or even units at times that play well defensively it's just never it's just never cohesive. Like in basketball, we talk about a guy being a three-level scorer where, you know, right now you got three levels to your defense, your defensive line, your linebacking core, and your defensive backs, and they haven't all three really clicked at the same time. Mm-hmm. There have been moments, 22 minutes against the final 22 minutes against Pittsburgh are a really good example of that. But outside of that, there's been one unit or another at certain points in these games where – They're not holding up their end of the bargain. And I think we just expected too much out of Gene Chizik. We put too much stock into what he did back in 2015. And I think we just passed off as, oh, he's going to do that again. And it's not happening. But he is doing the things that, you know, the previous defensive coordinator, Jay Bateman, didn't do which was – or which is make halftime adjustments. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that this defense in the second half does do a much better job at, at uh, you know, limiting yards and points. Um, and so I think that's something where you got to give credit to Matt Brown and the staff overall is that, you know, it kind of feels like the game plan is, is just, hey, let's keep it close, figure out what we're doing right, figure out what we're doing wrong, and we'll fix it at halftime. We'll come out and win the final 30 minutes. And it's it's a dangerous recipe, but it's one right now that the, that the that Carolina's cooking with Crisco, and that's why they're sitting here at eight and one.
0: Yeah. Another reason that they are cooking with the Crisco, as you said, I'm gonna let that be your term. I'm not really gonna claim that one either, because that is incredibly white. Is that Drake Bay? Look, this was not the most dominant performance that he has had believe it or not, first time since the Georgia State game that he has not thrown for 300 yards in a game, but still had 376 yards of total offense, three total touchdowns, and on a day where a lot of the other guys that people are talking about in the Heisman race struggled, and we'll talk a little bit more about where he stands in the Heisman race after this uh, a little bit later, but you know, on a day where not everybody around the country was shining – you know, he has a solid day. He doesn't turn the football over. And I thought in that third quarter, really made some plays for Carolina when they needed him to. And that's what that, that that's the difference that I think you're seeing at quarterback. Not to say that Sam Howell didn't make those type of plays, but you can see that Drake may I mean, just you go back to the touchdown run that he had in the first half where he rolls to his right and then completely runs back across the field. And I get it. Virginia didn't do a good job on that play of of even being in position to really make a tackle on him but it's a guy that just continues to show how special he is and the fact that we're talking about 289 yards passing and two touchdowns for him being an off day I think really shows where we're at with with Drake May at this point
1: the the most impressive thing that that Drake May does is is that he makes he makes the plays or, or, or it's when he doesn't make the plays that you think he should have made. Like, and I say that because how many times did we watch Sam Howell, who, look, had one of the best arms we've seen in college football, trust his arm too much and try to make something happen and, 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 and throw an interception, or hold on to the ball a second and a half too late, take a sack that derailed a drive. Drake May's awareness to be a redshirt freshman um, is, is is one of is, is is as high as I've seen in the 15 plus years I've watched college football on a weekend week out basis. And so yeah, what when he did what he did yesterday, which you know half the teams in this conference would kill for that type of quarterback play. Mm-hmm. We're over here saying you know it was a was a rather quiet day. That shows you the level of dominance that he's playing. It he became the first ACC quarterback. To throw for uh 30 touchdowns in a team's first nine games in the history of the conference, um you you know so we 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 really talked a few weeks ago about how he was on pace to to break all the records that that Sam Howell set during his freshman season. He became just the third quarterback ever to throw for 30 touchdown passes in a season at Carolina, and that that that's still true. He is putting together one of the more all time special. Redshirt freshman seasons. Not only have we seen in in here in ACC country, but you know, in, in all of college football, and you know, he's he's starting to get the love that that he's he's very worthy of, and you know, we 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 always talked about, and I and I was really the first one to really draw this comparison to, you look at what what Clemson became under Dabo Sweeney. It started with getting the first quarterback. Their first guy was Taj Boyd. Our first guy under Mac Brown 2.0 was Sam Howell, Taj Boyd for Clemson, led them to the Deshaun Watsons, to the Trevor Lawrence's, and the future K. Clubnicks of the world. Well, our second guy is Drake May, and Drake May may never win a Heisman Trophy, he may never win a national championship, but he has Carolina back on the back on the map. He's keeping them on the map after Sam Howell got them there, and so you know whatever success this program has in the next 3 to 5 years a lot of that's going to be in large part too, to the quarterback play we've seen from Sam Havel and now Drake May.
0: Yeah, I mean there's there's no there's no denying that what they're doing it what, what both guys did is huge. Uh Drake uh, or S- uh, Sam got it started. Um I was saying this earlier tonight discussing the program with uh with my dad and uh, you know he kind of asked, you know, when you look at the two quarterbacks you know what what is the difference because they i mean he he i don't think he's at the point yet where he is ready to say that drake is better than sam because he watched sam for the last few years you know the last 3 years um but the thing is is that look w- without sam none of this happens um if they don't land if, if the staff doesn't land sam back in the 2019 recruiting cycle Um, that that this team is nowhere close to where they're actually at right now. So I think you have to give credit to Sam and with everything that he did. But yeah, you're talking about a dude that is just special. Um, I thought big, first of all, biggest play that, that Drake made yesterday was makes that throw on to Josh Downs on the final drive. Um, that's a play that you only call as Phil Longo if you absolutely trust everything about your quarterback and and your wide receiver as well but it takes a tremendous amount of trust to do that instead of running the football and running time off the clock um so that just I mean that showed you everything you need to know right there about how much he trusts his quarterback and I mean, just the physical tools. Uh, Again, so many people have tried to draw different comparisons to him. I know there's a ton of people that want to try to, you know, draw the comparison of him to Patrick Mahomes or to Josh Allen, some of these other guys. Justin Herbert's a tremendous comparison for him. And I think if you're being compared to a guy like that, who right now is one of the best up-and-coming young quarterbacks in the NFL, there's a reason why. Because your physical gifts are special. This dude. Is special and the thing is is again enjoy the ride that you're taking with drake may because it can turn really really quickly we've seen it before um just go back to 2015 with marquise williams and look marquise williams was nowhere near as talented as sam howell or as drake May, um, just in terms of the physical tools it was, it was a different skill set Um, And he was, you know, probably a, a, a better runner than either one of those two with how much he ran the football. But we saw how quickly that turned, starting with the 2017 season, after Mitch Trubisky left. So that's the thing. Enjoy the ride while you're on it, because you never know how quickly things can change. But Drake was tremendous in this game. So was Josh Downs. Uh, he, another huge performance in this one. And he had some huge ones last year. This one sets a career high with 15 receptions on 16 targets for 166 yards and one touchdown. And this was huge because this was a day where the rest of the receivers struggled. You had Antoine Green just caught three of his seven targets for 33 yards, Uh, JJ Jones, wasn't great in this one either. He caught just two of his six targets for 21 yards. And then the tight ends, a little bit quiet. Kamari Morales, two catches for 23 yards on four targets. And John Copenhaver was not even targeted in this game. So on a day where everybody else really sort of, sort of struggled to make an impact, Josh Downs did everything that he could and really turned it back to last year to carry this Tar Heel passing game and ultimately lead this team to a win.
1: Yeah, you know we, we really he he's been really quiet at times this year in a large part because you know he's coming back from the injury and in the and in, in, in the his absence, other guys stepped up and they they made plays. And so, and you look around the country and you see guys like Jalen Hyatt at Tennessee, Jordan Addison at USC, uh, the trio wide receivers that exist out there um, in Ohio State. People ask, well, what's, what's wrong with, with Josh Downs? And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with them. It's that uh, Carolina's passing offense, had expanded outside of Josh Downs. That was something we challenged Phil Longo to, to do, was to find other guys to get the football to. But we knew in the back of our minds, there's going to be games and there's going to be moments where Josh Downs has got to be the type of player he was last year, and he was yesterday. Fifteen catches, second most ever in program history. Uh, Ryan Switzer had did it, uh, did uh, caught sixteen balls three separate times during his legendary Tar Heel career, and so that that was the thing was that even even though he hasn't had the type of year we. We thought he was going to have, but his numbers are still really fantastic. That just shows you the expectation we had. But, you know, you look at what he did yesterday. Carolina doesn't win the game without him. And it's going to be imperative as we're playing big-time football in November. You need Josh Downs to be one of your better players on the field. He was yesterday. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that wide receiver matchup with him and uh AT Perry next week of awake forest because it kind of feels like whatever wide receiver has the better game gives their team the best chance to win. But Josh Downs put on that put on that 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 all ACC cap uh or cape yesterday and put on a big time performance and and Carolina was a was a big time benefactor because of it.
0: Yeah. And I I think, you know, one of the things that I think needs to be talked about here is that Josh Downs, I don't think he's getting the type of respect that he should be nationally. Um, You know, for, for what he's done this year, I get it. He was, he was hurt early in the season and missed a couple of games. I think that kind of took him off the radar because he's not up there with some of the other guys towards the top of the country in terms of his, you know, overall statistical numbers. You're talking about a guy that still has 693 receiving yards at this point and will probably get to 1,000 yards yet again this season. Also has eight receiving touchdowns and easily leads this team with 63 receptions. Um, you know, I mean, and and that comes in, in seven games. And, and I think that's the – you said it. This is a team that has learned how to spread the ball around a lot more this season. But so far this year in the games that he's played in, The lowest number of yards that he has had was in the game against Notre Dame. That was 32. And he still had two touchdowns in that game. Still made a couple of big plays. Outside of that, every other game that he has played in this year, he has had at least 69 or more receiving yards. So he's a guy that has still been extremely consistent. And this is, you know, we we mentioned it last week. Him and Antoine Green together had combined for back-to-back games with over 100 yards receiving for both guys. Well, now he has three straight games with over 100 yards receiving and for the last five. So as we've gotten to the stretch run of the season, as we've gotten really into conference play, he has once again started to step back up and become that go-to receiver for Carolina weekend and week out. Yeah, it's great that we've seen Antoine Green step his game up, and we've seen the tight ends have a much better year. But when you have a game like this where, give credit to Virginia, and we said that coming in, that they had some really strong corners that it was going to be hard for Carolina to attack. And we saw that on the outside. Um, as I mentioned, I told you uh, that Carolina targeted their outside receivers 13 times, and it, and uh, they only had five of those that were catches. So Virginia did what they had to do to take away everybody else. But when you got a guy that can be this dominant in the slot, that can be a difference maker. And at this point, you know, again, if he could, if he reaches a thousand yards again, like if he can get to double-digit touchdowns and probably be pretty close to the lead, you know, the nation, the national lead in terms of receptions this dude should be in the conversation to be an All-American. He probably won't be because he missed those two games early in the season where some of these other guys, um, you know, they're going to play a full schedule. But there needs to be more talk about just how good of a receiver Josh Downs is. I think at this point – it's pretty clear to me and I think probably a lot of other Torrial fans that even though he probably won't be the statistical leaders in a lot of these categories receiving wise for a career this is the best receiver Carolina has ever had rolled through here in terms of just pure talent pure skill set and if he was here for 4 years there's no doubt in my mind that he would break every other record that they have in place um it, yeah, I don't- it, it, it is time to put him in those conversations.
1: Yeah, I don't really know if that's even really an argument. You're talking about a guy that didn't play his freshman year because two other all-time great wide receivers and Daz Newsome and Deami Brown were ahead of him. Yep. Then in his sophomore year he becomes the focal point of a passing offense and then this year misses two games. He's still going to put up big time numbers, but the other guys around him in his absence flourished. I do want to uh you want to make a quick note, you're probably hearing some dogs barking in the background. Um, that is that is Sadie. She is the, the the dog of my female cousin that I live with, and she typically likes to do this every night about 10, 10 o'clock. There so we go. I apologize for, for her fit, but it does kind of bring you into into the in, into the recruiting or in, into the re, uh, recording studios as we're not at our normal place. We are at our homes via zoom, but yeah, getting back to Josh Downs, like, yeah, was, or, you know, Hakeem Nix a, a big time player. Absolutely. Ryan Switzer. Yes. Even De'Ami Brown, who's an NFL player, but they don't have the talent that Josh Downs has and they don't have the ability. They don't impact, they didn't impact games to the same magnitude that he's doing right now for Carolina. And, and Josh Downs is the perfect example of what Phil Longo wants in a receiver. He's just a guy that while he runs good, clean, crisp routes, when those routes don't get him open, he finds somewhere else to go. is relocating to get open Is has been a big reason why this passing attack has been as successful as it has been. And, and so, um, yeah, you know, when, whenever it's all said and done, We'll probably have a podcast edition or, or two out of it, but it's going to be really hard to say when Josh Downs moves on to the NFL. So it's just going to be really hard to argue he's the best receiver Carolina's ever produced.
0: Yeah. So we've also spent a bunch of time talking about what he did receiving wise. Davin even talked about the fact that he had 57 punt return yards on two returns yesterday. Easily the most success that he has had of his career. That was also big in helping set up a couple of drives for Carolina. So this dude was a guy that did it all. Another guy that I thought had a really good game on multiple fronts yesterday was Elijah Green. Um, you know, we 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 recorded the podcast. As you mentioned, we're at our homes and that's fine. Look, I, I, I got to tell you, there's a chance that my my dog Willow can crank it up at any time too. Willow's very opinionated. So she may have an opinion as well on some of these things. But, you know, the thing is, with Elijah Green, you know, we didn't even talk yesterday when we tried to record this the first time about the fact that he did score a touchdown receiving wise as well. He had a one catch, 22 yards and found the end zone with it. Um so he finishes with 113 yards uh all purpose in this game. Uh 91 yards on the ground. This this was a dude that coming into yesterday. We didn't really know a whole lot about we felt, you know, I as I said the other day when we were previewing this game, and even when we talked a little bit about the injuries, I said, "Look, I think there's a chance that he could be this year's British Brooks because I, I, I liked what we saw from him in limited snaps against Duke. Well, those limited snaps against Duke were three carries. The only other times that we've ever seen Elijah Green before that in meaningful game action was." in garbage times of blowout games. And so there was still a question mark about what exactly this run game would look like without Caleb Hood in there. I thought Elijah Green was tremendous. I thought it was very much like what we saw a week ago against Pittsburgh, but he was actually able to find some space. Well, I said it when we recap the Pitt game. There was never a moment where I said to myself on, on certain runs from Elijah Green, Man, that dude, you know, he's just, he's not getting, he's the reason why he, we're not picking up yards here. He's not getting it done. I felt like, again, on Saturday, there was never really a moment. There was one play in the second quarter where I thought he could have bounced it to the outside and he could have picked up a big game where he decided to stay inside and go to the B gap instead of bouncing it to the outside. Other than that, there was never a moment on Saturday where I said to myself, I think he made the wrong decision. I thought this dude ran hard. I thought he was extremely decisive. And I thought that he was – he did exactly what you are wanting Tar Heel running backs to do, which is to get downhill. And this was exactly the type of performance that Carolina needed on the ground. Look, even when Caleb Hood was in there, even when Amari and Hampton was carrying the ball early in the year, Drake Bay has led this team in rushing for the majority of the games this season. Carolina needs to have a guy that can take the pressure off of him as a runner. Look, he's still going to get his yards on the ground. That's an element of this offense that coming into the year, I'll admit, I did not think that would still be there. I thought with his frame and just remembering what he did in high school – This was not going to be a guy that Carolina was going to run that much. I was wrong about that, and he has been an extremely important part of what Carolina does with his legs on the ground. But Carolina needs a guy at the running back position that can step up. And to me, Elijah Green, you know, proved the other day that he is more than capable of shouldering the load in this Carolina backfield for the remainder of the season.
1: I thought he was maybe the most impressive player on offense for Carolina yesterday that wasn't Josh Downs or Drake May because he he answered a lot of questions for us. We know with Caleb put out, we need other guys to step up and make plays. This staff doesn't trust Omarion Hampton right now to be a, a factor in the backfield. George Petaway has his role as a returner, and so it really came down to Elijah Green and DJ Jones. I know D.J. Jones was on the field for a few plays. He did, catch a, he did catch a pass out of the backfield, but the only guy to carry the ball that wasn't named Drake May was Elijah Green. And I thought he did so effectively. I thought he was quick and decisive in his cuts. I thought he ran hard. I thought he brought a level of physicality in the downhill running game that this offense needs um, because I think one of the big things that running game has struggled with is that whenever they meet contact, they're they're taken down. They, they, they lack the ability to, to make a three-yard run into a five- or six-yard run. I thought by the second half yesterday, he had worn down the Virginia Tech defenders and was doing a much better job at making, you know, small runs into medium-sized runs and then even into big runs. And so, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how this continues to grow and build for him because Carolina's kind of been using the hot-hand approach going uh, you know, going into the first several handful of games, dating back to Amarian Hampson, who had breakout games against you know, Florida A&M and Georgia State. Then it became Caleb Hood. Now, now you're looking at Elijah Green and you're saying, hey, look, we, we need you to step up and make plays, and he did that in limited capacity against Pittsburgh in a much larger form on Saturday at Virginia, and going into this final three games against Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and NC State, he you feel like he's going to have to be a big part of what you do in the backfield. And I'm personally excited to see how he continues to make the most out of this opportunity.
0: Yeah, and I, I got to tell you, right as of right now, I'd be shocked if he is not the starter moving forward. Um, I, I mean, it's going to take a lot for him to lose those responsibilities because, as you said, it's it's one thing to to take over the starting role as a guy that you know hasn't really been that that dude before or even really a part of the rotation um, up until just a couple of weeks before, but to take every single uh, carry outside of Drake May that shows that this staff clearly trusts you, and part of it is that now that we we've, we've kind of learned this, Mac Brown said this uh, last week was that. He was banged up at a time, you know, during during this season. So that's probably part of the reason why we didn't see more of him. But I, I feel like now, and they did it a year ago with British Brooks, and it worked out very, very well. That was one of the best things about this targetal offense down the stretch of the season, was what British Brooks brought to them on the ground. And it's the reason why British Brooks was slated to be the starter heading into the season before he suffered the season-ending injury. It's it's possible for Elijah Green to become the lead back and really give Carolina what they need uh, out of the backfield. So uh, we do not have any closing notes. We are recording this on Sunday night, so we don't have anything to pass out to you guys. But we do have a conversation topic. It was a tough week for some of the big names around college football, the guys that are at the top of the Heisman race. And as we've told you over the last couple of weeks, Drake May is in the conversation. There was a question posed to me and some other Toriel fans yesterday on social media by a national college football account. What is that question? Find out next on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high and the tension is higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks and you watch as the ball lands. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet And get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you want to bet on one of your favorite Tar Heel players. Maybe you like Michael Carter and his matchup for the Jets that week. Or maybe you want to bet on the total number of tackles that Cole Holcomb will have in a game. You can do all that on DraftKings Sportsbook. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow. And you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pegnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack 2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog podcast. Anthony Pegnata, Josh Marlowe with you. As I mentioned, there is a question that is out there right now around Carolina football, around Drake May, and it revolves around the Hodgman Trophy race. After yesterday, a day that saw Hendon Hooker struggle in his biggest test of the season against Georgia, that saw CJ Stroud really, really have a hard time throwing the football in the wind against Northwestern and Bryce Young have one of the worst performances of his entire career in a loss to LSU that eliminated Alabama from uh, the from playoff contention, at least we hope at this point. Um, it, the door is open. The doors is open for the Heisman Trophy. Um, and, again, look, I think the, the guys that we just talked about there, I think Bryce Young, in a lot of people's minds, just looking at some of the odds afterwards – he probably was the guy that hurt himself the most. He's got a long way to go, I think, to climb back to, to, to being in position to win it. But I, it's, you know, Hendon Hooker, C.J. Stroud, those guys still appear near the top of the list. But there was a question that was posed by a national college football account. It is Pipeline on Twitter. Go follow them if you don't. Uh, tremendous college football coverage throughout the season. They asked the question, is Drake May – now the Heisman front runner, and I look. I think that's that's a very very. That, I mean, that's that's a lofty that that's lofty to say when it comes to Drake, especially considering uh, that he's on a team that's probably you know a, as I mentioned uh, now is almost certainly out of college football playoff contention. But I think the bigger question is one. Of course, is he the front runner? We'll answer that question, but also. Does he have a legitimate shot to be the Heisman Trophy winner? What do you think to those two questions that were posed on social media?
1: Yeah, I. he's definitely in the conversation. I think his case and argument, I think I think it may have grew on Saturday, large part because he had another performance, and the guys around the country, C.J. Stroud, struggled. Bryce Young had, you said, the, you know, his worst performance of his career. To me, he's still not the front runner. If, if I still had to put my money on a guy, I'm giving it to Hendon Hooker. I know he wasn't great on Saturday, but that Alabama performance is still there. And that 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 drive of leading Tennessee down the field in less than 30 seconds to lift Tennessee past Alabama for the first time in 15 years – it's gonna be really hard to overlook that if Tennessee finished the season, you know, eleven and one. Heck, even ten and two, because he he's been you know the best quarterback in college football for the majority of the season. Bryce Young had his worst game statistically on Saturday night, and he still threw for over three hundred yards and still made you know a, a lot of big time plays and gave Alabama the best chance to win, given you know the struggles of, of their defense once again. And so I still think, you know, he, he's still got to fight an uphill battle when it comes to to Bryce Young. And, and then, you know, a guy that, that I, I've i really zeroed in on and he's not going to get the love nationally that he deserves is is Blake Corum, the running back of Michigan. If he was the running back at Alabama and he had the stats that he has for Michigan, he'd probably be the clear front runner, but he's not. But this is a guy who's on pace to break Hassan Haskins' school record of rushing touchdowns, which was 22, which he set last year in the win over Ohio State. Quorum's on pace to break that total before they even beat meet the Buckeyes at the end of the month. And so, you know, you look you look at just those guys right there. Then you've got Kayla Williams at USC, yep. as the Trojans are quietly eight and one, and, and with with Alabama losing they have a really good chance to to enter the, the playoff race. You look at a guy like Bo Nix, who feels like all he does is score five touchdowns every time he's on the field. Those two quarterbacks, they have high profile games that they're going to play down the stretch, which gives them a chance to have Heisman moments. And Drake may doesn't. And, and as, as much as it shouldn't be about moments, that's what really now determines the Heisman Trophy is great players having, you know, great moments. And I don't know if Drake May, unless it's against Clemson, is going to be in a setting to where it's going to do enough to sway the voters to make him the front runner. Should he be in New York? Absolutely. There's no way to justify, barring something to where either he just collapses, you know, an injury or the like. If he finishes the season the way he's playing right now, he should be in New York, bar none. And for this program, what that would do on the recruiting trail, what that would do from a booster standpoint, what it would you just do all around for the university would be immaculate. But I still wouldn't say he's the front runner to win the most prestigious award at college athletics.
0: I would agree with you on that front. Um I do not have him as the front runner. I think you are probably still right. I think it probably would still go to Hendon Hooker at this point. Um but you know with him I, it is going to be interesting to see how he finishes the season because Tennessee is is not a guaranteed they're it's not guaranteed that they're going to bounce back especially with the struggles that they have had over the last decade and a half as a program so we'll, we'll see on that front um CJ Stroud I think look you could say whatever you want I saw plenty of people that were mad that he would get a pass for playing in those types of conditions uh it, it is what it is to me look I get it I, I understand both sides of the argument I don't think that you should just be given a pass for struggling especially because it came against the Northwestern team. Uh, that really is one of the worst teams in all of Power Five this year. But at the same time, look, playing in in forty mile an hour wind gusts, um, we we've seen it before as Tario fans. That wind can really affect how your quarterback plays. Um, just see Mitch Trubisky against Virginia Tech back in 2016. Wind sure as hell affected that game. Um, so I, I think. You know, those two guys, they're they're still squarely in the argument. Bryce Young, probably not. I think the reason why, and don't get me wrong, he's not out of it. If he comes out and just completely tears it up these last few weeks of the season, Alabama ends up in the SEC championship game, and especially if they find a way to win it, even if the team doesn't make the playoff, I think he would still be right there. The thing with him is, is that, there's there's so much for, for Alabama players at this point. There's so much that's expected out of you. Two losses already. I think a lot of people are probably just gonna kind of take him off the off the balance. Plus, he's already won one. So in order for you to repeat, repeating as as a Heisman winner is one of the toughest things to do because the expectations are that you better what you did a year ago. And I don't think as of right now that he is going to do that. So he's probably the guy that I think, if you're looking at who Drake may have passed over, he probably did pass over um, a a guy in Bryce Young who struggled. But as you mentioned, I think Caleb Williams probably, uh, he helped himself a lot last night. Now, again, USC themselves maybe did not. They struggled with Cal, but it wasn't because of him. Uh, he has been outstanding this year. He's thrown just one interception. Um, the problem for him and also for Bo Nix at this point, um, although I think Bo Nix, you know, they've had some games that have been on national television during the afternoon, so that probably helps him a little bit more. These guys are on the West Coast. Um, Caleb Williams has played a ton of games late at night. So he is probably going to be hurt by uh, that that West Coast Playing on the West Coast, playing in that 10 p.m., that 10 o'clock time slot, Pac-12 after dark. We've seen that before hurt guys, and that could very well hurt him uh, in this argument. Um, I'm with you. I think this is really just kind of solidifying the fact that Drake May just deserves to be in New York. And, yeah, I I mean, to say that it would be monumental for this program kind of even underscores – it almost feels like it underscores it because this would be really a statement to everybody. Look, not only do we have really good quarterback play here, we have elite quarterback play here. We are right up there with the Ohio States, with the Alabamas, um, you know, before DJU with Clemson. so. When you come here, you are going to be playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the country year in, year out. And I I think that's the message that that would send, and it would be amazing. And, of course, for Drake personally, it would just be tremendous, and it would set him up to where next year coming in um, – I mean, we talked about last year Sam Howe being an outside Heisman type of guy, um, an outside shot type of guy – That would not be even remotely what Drake may would be heading into next year. If he goes to New York, he would be probably the Heisman front runner. There would be a couple other guys that would still be in that conversation, but he would certainly be up there. Um, So I, I think, you know, more than anything, he, he solidified himself as, as a, as a contender. And I think now he's got his chance. You, you know, final, three of the final four games of the season, you know, barring a a complete collapse, um, you will be playing on national television. Um, And that is all before they make the decisions of who goes to New York for the Heisman Trophy presentation. Uh, This weekend's game against uh, Wake Forest ESPN two game the, the matchup with NC state on black Friday, that is an ABC game. And you would also have the ACC championship game, which will be on ABC. And as we remember that time slot, he's probably going to be the, the, the guy in that time slot um, that everybody is watching. Um, it will be that that matchup because the only other game in that time slot would be the Big Ten championship game, and that game took a big hit with what happened over the weekend to Illinois. So. I think there is a there is more than a chance that he can continue to impress people. And look, do I think there's zero chance that he wins the Heisman? No. I think if he goes out there and this team finishes twelve and one and he puts up some gaudy stats down the stretch, especially against NC State and Clemson on the way out, I think there is a chance that he could take it home. But ultimately, I think right now, having him as the Heisman front runner probably pushing it. Just a little bit. So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Guys, make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We uh, have you covered on everything from the game against Virginia. I've got the recap up there for you guys. We're going to have the trench report. Um, Ashton's analysis this week, uh, not sure. That may be a little bit delayed. Ashton uh, currently uh, dealing uh, with uh, you know some some uh, a, a sickness, so hopefully uh, he can get over that uh, and get you know his opinion up. I know he probably is uh, eager to get that one up about uh, this game against Virginia, where they are able to survive on the road. So we'll have that press conference takeaways will be there tomorrow um, as Mac Brown meets with the media. And then uh, I will get have you cover midweek with the stock report. We've been putting them out midweek. You guys have seemed to really like that. As it sort of transitions you officially over from the previous week into this week's matchup. And then, of course, I will have you covered on the back end this week, uh, getting you ready for the game against Wake Forest as Carolina hopes to take home the ACC Coastal title on the road in Winston-Salem. Uh, over on the basketball side of things, thing uh, Carolina tips off their 2022-23 season tomorrow night in the Smith Center against UNC Wilmington. Josh has he covered the uh, the preview is already up on the website, so make sure that you guys do check that out. Also, make sure that you guys check out all of the player profiles for the core four that are coming back this year. Those will be uh, those are up there for you guys. Uh, as Ashton uh, takes you through Armando Baycock, Caleb Love, RJ Davis, and Leaky Black, the guys that return to the starting lineup, and uh, sort of breaks down what to expect from them this year coming off of what they did a year ago as Carolina looks to avenge the loss in the national title to Kansas. Also, new writer on the website, Graham Hasty has started us off with a 2022-23 crystal ball prediction for Tar Heel basketball. What does he ultimately see happening for this year's team? Does he have Carolina going back and this time cutting down the nets and raising that eighth banner? Find out on the website. Make sure you give him a follow on social media as well uh check them out on twitter hasty graham on there uh, all that stuff and more on the website heeltoplog.com so that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast make sure you guys rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast uh, but for now want to thank josh for hosting with me want to thank you guys for listening and as always go tarheels